0: Uh, Thank you, Tom. You you hear me okay. All right. Well, as I said last time I taught, I'm trying to write a... I'm trying my hand at writing a Bible study. And this Bible study is uh, on prologues in the Bible. And as you may recall, prologues in literature are used to establish context so you can understand the rest of the writing. Well, there are prologues in Scripture. And they have to help us to understand our context in God's plan and His revelation. And so the prologue that I am talking about this time is the one from John 1, 1 through 18. Last time I talked about the first two verses. And uh, it's useful to read the whole prologue again, so I'm going to do that for you. And, but after that, you're going to have to do all the reading of all the other verses. So, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light, that is John. He came only as a witness to the light, the true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who receive him, he came to that which was his own. uh, I'm sorry. To all that received him, believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. And the word became flesh. And made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out, saying, This is the he of whom I said, he comes after me, has surpassed me, because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made Him, that is God the Father, known. So that is the prologue. Now, since I'm really dividing this up into very small snatches of information, the Bible is wonderful. You can read broad parts of it and get a lot of, of insight and information. You can read small parts of it and get a lot of insight and information. And you can put them all together and get more information and insight. I mean, this is unique. Only the Bible does this. So John 1 through 3, that's an importance alert. Why? What is happening here is a Hebraic way of teaching called parallelism and what that means in this case is that what is stated is restated in a different way. So parallelism is one of the teaching parts of, of, of Hebraic teaching. Another one is repetition and we've heard about repetition, right? So repetition if you say something twice it makes it it's a better th- statement but it is also a more intimate statement. And we see that most often in the New Testament when Jesus says a repetition of a name. Martha, Martha. It's a better, it's a closer, more intimate relationship. Remember when he said that when Martha was complaining that Mary was not doing the dishes? Remember? Or Simon, Simon. Satan has asked to sift you. Simon, Simon, that's that's, that's a better relationship, but it's more intimate. Okay? Or even Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? But there is something even more in the repetition. It's when you say it three times. And we have a wonderful hymn that is based upon Revelation. Holy, holy, holy. It's not just holy, holy. Is holy, 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 the superlative, the most, the most holy. So that's one of the teaching mechanisms that you find in Hebraic teaching, which is throughout the scripture. In fact, I thought it would be fun since I had a little time. I didn't know that Becky was going to talk because I am going to do this anyway. But I'd like you to show, that, see that this, is, this teaching is also in the Old and New Testament. So I would like people to read for me. Proverbs, Psalms, and Second Timothy just for the fun of seeing the the parallelism that is, that is one of the methods. Now uh, as you all look up, I get people to look this up. I need a, pro- a proverbial person and a psalmist. Okay, you're a proverbial person. But there are, there are at least seven different ways in which parallelisms will work in teaching in the, in the scriptures. It might be a mere repetition or it might be Uh, an augmentation, or it might be a contrast by saying one thing in the positive and saying it the same way in a negative, like two sides of the coin. So there are different ways in which parallelism works. It's not monolithic. It's actually an interesting thing because it can show up in different ways. Let's look at uh, Proverbs 10, 1 through 5.
1: Lazy hands make a poor man, but diligent hands bring wealth. He who gathers crops in summer is a wise son, but he who sleeps during harvest
0: is a disgraceful son. So you see the parallelism is one of contrast. Okay, wise son, foolish son, wicked, righteous. And it tells you how to recognize that, but it gives you the contrast. The parallelism teaches the lesson through the contrast. Psalms, is someone a psalmist? Uh huh.
1: Blessed are those who have regard for the weak. The Lord delivers them in times of trouble. The Lord protects and preserves them. They are counted among the blessing and the rain. He does not give them over to the desires of their foes. The Lord sustains them on their sickbed and restores them from their
0: bed of illness. So this is kind of an augmentation type of idea. So the Lord protects and preserves and blesses and will not surrender him to the desires of his foes. So the parallelism in the lesson is that it gives you more information. But it's an emphasis technique. But It's even found in the New Testament, Second Timothy. Who likes Timothy? You're going to have to do some reading today, folks. You got it? You're on. So you see, this is both, uh, the both sides of the coin type of thing. You see both sides. One kind of said in a positive way, one said in a negative way. If, he died, if we died with him, we also live with him. See, and it's an emphasis. It makes you take notice. <coughs> There's something important here. So that's what we have <coughs> in the parallelism that's there. So here we have all things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that was, has come into being. Now, apart from him, the, the, the translation of nothing is, is a bit truncated because Greek is rich. The words are rich in meaning, but English kind of truncates it down. You know, we say love for all kinds of things. I love that, that coffee or whatever, but love has multiple words in Greek. So Greek words are rich in meaning. So here we have, apart from him, nary a thing not even one, nary a thing if you want to put it in southern not even one came into being that came into being. That's an emphasis. So you have it, all things came into being Through him, all things, and we're going to talk about that, and apart from him, nary a thing, nada, came into being without him. So let's look at this. The word for all, if it's transliterated into English, I'm I, I really am not very good with Greek characters. So, but the translator is panda. Uh, apparently the T-A, because of the da, in this context of this word. But panda is the word for all things. Now, when we talk about this, all things are translated. Panda is translated, all things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. So what is panda? Panda is a plural word. Plural. It's not all, it's you all. Okay, You all. Not just y'all, but you all. All things. Everything. The whole, but the word is not just a number, it's not just people in number, it's the whole, it's the completeness. When it says all things, it means that everything is completed and finished as to being whole. You weren't created partly. You're not, the sanctification is a work in progress, but the creation of the world was all things were completed. That's why he rested. God rested on the seventh day. Right? (coughs) Excuse me. That was loud. So, let's look. All things. Oh, the other thing is that in Greek they have conjugation of verbs but they also have a conjugation of nouns. Okay? So the nouns... Our spelling is changed based upon the function of the noun in the sentence. Because this is the way which Greek works, the order of the words in the sentence don't necessarily have to follow the same thing they do in English. Subject, verb, predicate. In fact, you can use the order of words in Greek for emphasis. So, when you see the wor- this verse, is all things is emphasized because that's the first word in the sentence. That's important. All things, everything, was created complete by God at the time of creation. Now, we have work to do, on our, don't we? We have to be sanctified. I don't understand how that works. Only God knows how it works. But We were made complete We weren't made unfinished as far as being a person that God has created, as being a world that God created. Sin has come in and caused destruction, but when God made us, it was good. (laughs) When He made man, it was very good. Good, good. So, we need to use Scripture to understand Scripture. That's that's how I like to teach anyway. I'm I'm too old to change how I teach now. I need a psalmist to read this. You got it. I'm, I'm reading from the uh, Samsung Android version. Will that be okay? Whatever you wish to read. <laughs> it lights up. See, to see.
2: By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the hosts of them, by the breath of his mouth, he gathered the waters of he layeth up the depth in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spake, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. The Lord bringeth the counsel of the heathen to naught. He maketh the devices of the people of none effect. The counsel of the Lord standeth forever The for thoughts of his heart to all generations.
0: Thank you. So, you know, I'm, I'm going to ask for a little bit of feedback for me. I'm, we're going to ask some questions here. This, this is not going to be a graded quiz, but, you know, what does this psalm really teach about creation? So you've got to listen to the stuff. So the first time I, I surprised you with the question, but, okay. So what does it really teach about creation? Well, the heavens were made by his word, and the starry host were made by his breath. Have we heard this type of thing before? This is Psalms, but John says, in the beginning was the? And so the heaven was made by the word, and everything was made through the word. The starry host were made by his breath. How can you speak? You have to breathe out, right? So the psalm also gives us insight into this. The creation, this is emphasized. This is Witnessed in the scriptures. How does the psalm, this psalm describe the completeness of God's creativity? Now remember that Hebrew was a pictorial language. Okay, it describes things. We, we, we say, well, um, that person is an intelligent leader. But Hebrew might say that person was a good shepherd. See the picture. That's the example, type of thing. So, what is the saying? Next, next verse. Next reading. You'll have to answer some questions. He gathers the waters into the jars and deep into the storehouses. Now, when do you put the water into the jars? When you're finished, right? It's complete. When do you fill up the storehouses? When you have harvest, you got the harvest going. You put it in the storehouse. This is a picture of completeness. So even the psalm tells us that when God created, He, he created completeness, fullness. Okay, He spoke and commanded the creation to be firm, to stand and be firm. Okay, it was no longer jelly. It's not the gelatin that you first put into the refrigerator. It's jello already. Uh, I don't know if that's a good analogy or not, but okay. We get it. Good. My wife gets it, then it's fine. Okay. And one last question on this How does this psalm affirm that God is the headwater? Now remember, in the beginning is the same term that in John's, John 1, in the beginning is the same term that the people who wrote the Septuagint, the translation of Hebrew into Greek, used for Genesis. And the Greek word for in the beginning also can mean the headwater and source of the river. So it's not just one and done. That's how we think of things. One and done. Yeah, that's what happens when the Spurs lose. One and done. You know. <laughs> no. In the beginning, at the beginning, and the headwater of everything else that happens afterwards, which creates a vision of flowing out from the source, from the headwater, right? In the beginning in Greek, it's a, it could be a headwater, and it's flowing out throughout time. Throughout all of creation, God was not just finished one and done and said, good luck, hope to see you on the other side. But he continues to have the headwater flow out in your life and my life. God is not one and done with you or with me. The plans of the Lord, it says in the psalm, stand how long? Forever. And the purpose is through all generations. Two things. The plans of the Lord, they're there. And they won't fail. But something else. He has purpose. Did you catch that? He has purposes for all generations. He has purposes for every single life. Here, under the bridge, in Washington, D.C., in India. He has a purpose for every single life. Now, that has a lot of ramifications that we don't have time to talk about. Otherwise, Becky will have no time to talk to us. But just think, every life, every life, born, unborn, young, old, Every life has purpose in God's plan. Not just his eyes, but in the reality that God makes. Okay. What's another panther type of verse? First Corinthians eight, J do you have that? First Corinthians eight, four through six. Remember there to be questions.
2: <laughs> so then okay, so then about eating food sacrifice to idols. We know that an idol is nothing at all in the world and that there is no God but one. So even if there is a so-called gods. Wherever heaven or on earth is indeed, there are, have, there are many other gods and many lords. Yet for us, there is but one God, the Father, the Father from whom all things came, and for whom all we live. And there is but one That's Lord, Jesus Christ, though, whom things came and through, and through whom we live. Thank you. Thank you for letting me here.
0: So what is the difference between the creativity of idols and the creativity of God, the Father, and the Son? We, we have that here.
2: There's this hunk of tin and gold, some of gold and silver and bronze and brass, and stone and wood and with a clay foot. There's they're impotent.
0: They're nothing. They're nothing.
2: They're nothing.
0: Idols are nothing. And nothing begets nothing. Nothing ever could. Okay. Sound of music springs up. But out of the Father, God created all out of the Father and through the working of the Son. Okay. But nothing begets nothing. You know, it's like the old joke where, uh, you know, someone said, well, God, I, I can do what you can do. Uh, let's have a contest and I, so we can create things. And so God created things out of nothing. And so the other guy said, well, give me something to use to create with. He said, no, you've got to start with nothing. God created X. The helo out of nothing came something. Idols can't do that. Okay. Reflecting on John's prologue that we've been talking about, what is implied by Paul in writing one God the Father from and one Lord Jesus Christ through? What's implied by this? Well, this implies... Persons of God. John is talking about persons of God. Now, we're only talking about two right now, really, uh-huh. the Father and the Son. But John, the, the first, the prologue, the context-giving part of the John implies persons of God. I don't understand how that works. Only God knows. But it is true. There's one God, one God, one God, the essence of God they're persons, and they have different functions. Apparently, God gives purpose. He gives the plans. The Son enacts the purpose. John says that in the prologue. So if anyone comes in and says, well, there's only one God, and, and Jesus is not part of that, and the Holy Spirit is not part of that. John tells us in the prologue, There are at least two people. We haven't seen the Holy Spirit yet, but persons are there. Incidentally, if you say God is love, you've also implied persons because love has to have an object. Otherwise, it doesn't exist. So, if God is love before the creation of the universe, there has to be a recipient of the love, right? That implies persons. Okay. But before we go into the next part, um, Albert Barnes was a Presbyterian minister, and he wrote in 1884, and he talks about this, also talks about the Son's omnipotence and the proof that Jesus is God. There is no higher proof of omnipotence than the work of creation, and hence God often appeals to that work to prove that He is the true God in opposition to idols. It's absurd to say that God can invest a creature with omnipotence. If he can make a cre- creature omnipotent, he can make him omniscient. In the same way he can make him omnipresent, infinitely wise and good. That is, he can invest a creature with his own attributes or make another being like himself, which is the same thing. There could be two gods or many gods that he would choose to make and that's absurd. The being, therefore, that created all things must be divine. And since this work is ascribed to Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is therefore equal to the Father. Okay. <coughs> I'm doing okay on time? No? I'll try to hurry up, but I have a hard time. Okay, now we're going to go into the rest, the second part of John 1.3, but we're going to compare it to John 1. In John 1, in the beginning was, is a word. Now, I don't speak Greek, but it's transliterated, something like that, okay. And this is a word for being, for existing. And it also, <coughs> excuse me. it carries a, a, a time part to it. So it was and continues to the present. But it says nothing about the origin. Okay. It, it, it means to come into being to be brought forth from something. So it can refer to the birth of John the Baptist. He was brought forth. He was born. So that's creating something out of something that already exists. That's Something occurring, being put together out of something that already exists. So those are two different words in the first chapter. So all things came into being, were created, came forth from something else through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being. Nothing was created or put together without Jesus, nothing. Nothing, not, e- not even the chairs. Jesus has something to do with that. And that we'll, we'll learn more about that in the, as we continue to study the prologue in the context. But think about what this really says. Nothing in our world comes forth without the word, the creativity of the word. We'll learn about that, about holding things together. But let's look at this again. Let's look at this coming forth, being created. Colossians 1, 15 through 20. We only have two. Sure. You got it. Uh, you. This is speaking of the <clears throat> Ready for the questions? Here they come. The firstborn holds authority. What has meant that Jesus is the firstborn over creation and is the creator of all things? Well, I guess we need a little background on firstborn. The concept of firstborn is not, uh, I birthed you out first. The concept of firstborn is responsibility and privilege. So in Hebrew society, the firstborn got a double portion of the inheritance, but also got a lot of responsibility because the firstborn became the family's priest. It doesn't doesn't replace the Levites. But for that household, the spiritual leader was the firstborn, who also had responsibility to take care of the mother and the sisters and the brothers who were not of age and to make sure that the household continued to function and do what it needed to do to preserve the the name of the, of the home. Preserving their property. It's responsibilities. As Tim Keller said, the firstborn... Son had a responsibility to go find the so-called prodigal son and bring him back to preserve the family. As part, as responsibility, as privilege, that's the firstborn. It means the preeminent one is the highest authority in the household, in the home, in the family. So, the firstborn holds highest authority. Jesus is firstborn over creation because he holds the highest authority, right? And he's responsible for taking care of us, for redeeming us. Okay. This rank, responsibility, heir, management, responsibility. He's responsible to manage us to manage the world. That means that he can't be abstracted. He can't be removed from it and say, okay, there you go, you guys got your mess, you live in it. No, he has responsibility. and and, In our terms, we say sacred responsibility, but everything is sacred with Jesus. He has responsibility to manage the world, to make good the mess with, that we make of it.
2: Yeah. Is is it relative at all that when Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me, Peter? Do you love me, Peter? Do you love me? Is that relative at all to
0: what he was putting in Peter? Yes, it is. Although that is a wonderful study because the word love there in English is not one word in Greek. So Jesus says, Do you copy me? I filio you. And the third time said, Well, do you filio me? Lord, you know everything. So <laughs> it's, a, it's a wonderful study. But yes, it has to, that's a relationship. So you can't manage the world without having a relationship with the world. And so that does apply to the relationship. You know, yes. What does e-gento mean? e-gento means to bring forth to make out of something to give birth to, as you ladies know, you don't give birth to things ex nihilo, you know, and that's something that's growing in you and it comes out, there it is. Well, not quite that easy, I know. <laughs> I am a retired physician, so I do understand that, so some do, not, not personally, not personally. Okay. not made um, so is it like that five minutes five minutes okay alright okay Colossians teaches that Christ did more than create things what does he continue to do from the beginning to from creation Christ holds everything together that's what Colossians teaches us he holds us together he manages us he holds us together So, I got to hurry through these things. And for what purpose does he do this? He does it for his glory, for his Father's glory, for his Father's pleasure. We are love gifts from God the Father to God the Son, for his pleasure. And he's also to reconcile us to God through making peace with us. Where? On a cross. Okay, so we have Hebrews here. I'll let you read your Hebrews on your own. but It's a wonderful, you know, I, I've been asked what's my favorite verse. I like them all. <laughs> I don't have a favorite verse. I like them all. I like what I'm studying. Um, personal context. Prologues are to give you a context for reading the scripture, living your lives, understanding and growing closer in your relationship to God. That's why we have prologues. So, when the Word created, all was made complete. However, we are imperfect. What does that mean? When God makes it complete, we're imperfect. Well, I'd like you to think about that. Why does creation matter? Why does it matter that we're created by God, by the Word? Why does it matter? If it doesn't matter, then I guess Darwin is right. If nothing that is created occurs without the word, Jesus Christ, <coughs> then creation implies purpose. Purpose is the intent of the creator about it. the use of the created. How does knowing that God intentionally created each person here and not here, impact your life and my life. I'd like you to think about that. Your life has meaning. Value. It's not given to you from the government. It's not given to you by your friends. It's not given to you by your job. We all have value because it comes from God. He said, you have value, I have value. Let's close in prayer. Creator and giver of life, you delivered and made each one of us for a purpose. However, we are fallen creatures who want to make our own way through life. Open our hearts and our eyes to your purpose and help us to fulfill the completeness created in us by you. It is in the majestic and precious name of Jesus that we pray this. Amen.